we ran it on QI a few years ago. Yeah. Um, which was, there's no such thing as a fish. Yeah, there's no such thing as a fish. No, seriously, it's in the Oxford Dictionary of Underwater Life. It says it right there, first paragraph, no such thing as a fish. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber. I'm sitting here with Anna Jasinski, James Harkin, and Andy Murray. And once again, we've gathered around the table with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And here they are in no particular order. Okay, fact number one, James. Okay, my fact this week is that comets stink. How could you know that? So the Rosetta probe, which we all know is currently going around the comet, and during that they've managed to collect some data from the comet itself. Uh, they've managed to do some spectral analysis on the molecules, and they found out that it smells like a mixture of rotten eggs, cat urine, and bitter almonds. Yummy. Although, did we talk about the fact that cat urine is good if you smell it in wine? Oh, you so if that, that could yeah. be distilled yeah. into what do you mean a wine, if you smell it in wine, it's like a wine flavour. Wine aficionados say, oh, it has a cat pee aroma, not as a bad thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cat pee, I guess, is like ammonia, isn't it? That's yeah. the kind of smell. But the chemicals that they have on this comet are hydrogen sulfide, ammonia, hydrogen, hydrogen cyanide, formaldehyde, methanol, and sulfur dioxide. And that apparently gives those smells. I really like the science writers who receive that kind of slightly dry, some people would say, report from Rosetta <laughs> and go, so I've read this list of chemicals. Do you think we can do the headline, Comet Stinks? Yeah, let's go with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it kind of overstates Yeah, fine. It does overstate it a bit because actually if you were on the comet, you wouldn't be able to smell it because the molecules are just not numerous enough for your nose to detect them. Really? If you had a sniffer dog, they'd be able to detect it. <laughs> Dogs can smell the weirdest things. I didn't actually realize their nostrils were as amazing as they are. So they can smell whale poo from a mile away. Oh, They've been really? trained to basically the way they tell the way they tell about whales' health is to analyze their poo. It's on the edge of a boat. So it's on the edge of a yeah, boat. Yeah, yeah. Okay, just sorry. I just kind of like just holding the water. Its nose. Yeah, just barking whenever it finds the poo. I read this on the Daily Mail. I don't know if it's true. <laughs> um, and DVDs, right. they can smell DVDs as well, which helps her when people are trying to counterfeit DVDs and get mm. them over borders and stuff. So they can smell huge hordes of DVDs. Dogs are right nosed, I think. When they smell, they smell with their right nostril. All of them. That's a good question. I don't know if it's like humans you, you and some of them aren't. Dogs who are more creative and artsy. <laughs> Go on about it all the time. 90% of dog presidents were left nosed yeah. as well. <laughs> Um, yes, so harmful smells they smell with their right nostril, but nice familiar smells they reserve for their really? left nostril. And their right nostril, new smells they always smell with their more sensitive right nostril. And weirdly, their ears are the other way around. So oh, really? they prick up their left ear when they're hearing something that's threatening, like a thunderstorm. And if they're hearing like other dogs barking that they want to hang out with, they prick up their right ear. But wow. what if there's something threatening over on their right? Groot. They spin round and round and round <laughs> and then collapse. Just to take it back to space for a minute. Oh, yeah. Even if you were up there, the odds are that if you were an astronaut up there, you might not be able to smell this comet. And that's in spite of the few molecules thing, because okay. in space, your sense of smell really suffers because all the fluids that normally pooling at the bottom of your body throughout the day, just because you're upright, go all over your body and they tend to bunch oh. up in your upper torso and in your head, which is why astronauts like eating spicy food. 
because it's some of the few foods that can actually get through your sinuses. Right. Uh-huh. And make you smell better. Do humans, like, smell half the time on the left nose and half the time on the right nose or something Suppose like that? Suppose you breathe through oh. nostrils on an alternating basis. Um, camels have the ability to close their nostrils yeah, because yeah, of sand. Yeah. It's like with their eyelids. So they have three sets of eyelids. Yeah. One which are like window wipers, the other which is their normal eyelids, and the third one which are transparent so that when it's sandy, they can just see through anyway. And, and their nostrils yeah. as well have the ability to go... And That's just cool. shut up. That'd yeah, be really they useful. make that noise yep. when they do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when they shut up. Uh, Elephant noise before, and it's to describe something else, but it's something rude. Oh, that's it. It's about hippos' testicles retracting inside oh, yeah. their bodies. <laughs> <laughs> I love that my impressions are limited to you. <laughs> Don't get down to do impressions. His retracting hippo testicles are exactly the same as covering nostril as his Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Um, the comet doesn't smell bad to anyone under the age of four because apparently up until the age of four, nothing smells bad to you. What? Uh, oh, this is on. a TED talk given by this um, four-year-old. Four <laughs> <laughs> yeah. great, guys. I like it all. So everything is just interesting and then you learn to react badly to certain smells oh, post wow. the age of four. I feel like I made my brother smell wasabi before he was four and he freaked out. But that's more of a kind That's more a sensation. You know that losing your sense of smell is one of the chief indicators of dying soon. They've tested lots of elderly people, and of the elderly people who couldn't smell or whose sense of smell was really badly impaired, a significantly higher proportion of those people died in the following five years. Right. It's, I mean, it's not guaranteed at all. It's interesting that you're saying that your sense of smell is dulled in space because mm-hmm. there are quite a lot of examples of astronauts giving very sort of exact descriptions of what things smell like, like Buzz Aldrin and yeah. Neil Armstrong saying that the moon smelled of gunpowder when they got back in. Also, apparently, one of the big issues that they have, so as well as having a sniffer at NASA, one of the big things they were trying to work out was the diet of astronauts because both farting and burping were massive things, particularly in the Apollo missions going to the moon. It just smelled of farts. It's because of the smell and not because it could propel you across the space. No, uh, Mary Roach, who wrote a book called Packing for Mars, actually looked into that. There was an idea that you could fart, propel yourself across. Yeah, uh, surely you could. According to the person that she asked, he said that the size of the human against the push of whatever air was coming out wouldn't be enough to actually do it. It would be enough, but you just probably wouldn't move very far. Yeah. (laughs) You'd have to have a lot of baked beans before going into space. 17,000 cans. You'd have to not care how long it took you to get to the other side of the (laughs) space lounge. Space lounge? I mean, it should be called lounge. They must have a lounge. They must have a lounge, yeah. Where, on the ISS? Yeah, or on any. any. Did they have one on Apollo 11? Not a lounge, no. It's a luxury, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's, that wasn't a necessity. You trim down. Yeah. <laughs> Lose the billiard room. Yeah. <laughs> the fireplace has to go. Um, so we've definitely covered in our fact books before that in space astronauts' hearts get rounder. Oh yeah. Oh. But also in space their eyeballs get flatter. Wow. People who are in space for a long mission they report blurred vision sometimes and. What they think is the reason is extra fluids in your head, which are normally elsewhere in the body. So this results in a flattening of the eyeballs and even swelling around the optic nerve. And when they go back to Earth, the swelling around the optic nerve subsides, but sometimes um, your eyes don't. Uh, they don't round out again. Right. So you have slightly flatter eyeballs. Yes. If you had aliens who came to Earth and they looked like humans, 
you would be able to tell they were aliens because they'd have flatter eyeballs because they'd been in space before they came here. So that could be a way of... Oh, yeah, that, that would be... Yeah. That is the plot of James's first novel. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was reading uh, Bill Bryson's short history, Nearly Everything, a while ago, and he says this thing about comets in it, and I guess meteorites, anything that enters the Earth's atmosphere. He was asking these two guys what kind of warning we would have against a, oh, yeah. a comet, meteor, asteroid strike, and they said, in all reality, unless someone had spotted it, and it's very hard to spot, one second. Well, for that's instance, what <laughs> that's our warning. Well, one what about second. Chelyabinsk? There wasn't any warning of that. It just came down and landed right. in the middle yeah. of Russia. Like, well, it would have been one second. Yeah. That's terrifying. <laughs> What would you yeah. do with that one last second? That's a great idea. <laughs> well, I guess I'd ring people and tell them what I really thought. <laughs> comets. A lot of scientists think that uh, it's comets that brought life to Earth, don't they? Because comets are made of water, well, of mm. ice, and that might be where the water and organic matter for Earth came from. Yep. Uh, when Hale-Bopp, the last time Hale-Bopp came around, because they're on orbits around the sun and they go past the Earth every now and then, the last time it came before 1997 was when Stonehenge was being built approximately really so that's, wow. that's how big that orbit is wow. um, yeah. so you, people going crazy with comets that happens quite a lot in 1910 there was a comet it was Halley's Comet where everyone went crazy when it came over yeah, do you yeah, remember yeah, why did they go crazy well what happened was you know all these chemicals that they found one of them includes cyanide and people had already realized that there was cyanide inside a comet's tail and some people had thought that the, when the comet goes past, the tail would go through the Earth and we'd all get killed by cyanide. Yeah. And so everyone thought the world's going to end, not in one second, but in like a few yeah. years. You'd all asphyxiate, basically. So they had end-of-the-world parties in New York. They had enormous <laughs> we're-all-going-to-die events everywhere. It was this mad, enormous scare, like you yeah. say. Yeah. Everyone, they mm-hmm. sold these leather inhalers that you would cover your mouth with so that it wouldn't kill you. Some wow. people thought that the cyanide would react with the Earth's atmosphere and create laughing gas and so everyone would be yeah, killed all laugh to death yeah Basically, all laugh to yeah. death if and you want to do an operation with well, a lot of operations booked for that moment <laughs> <laughs> and um, there was uh, one guy in California who somehow managed to nail himself to a cross on the day it was going to happen wow and then of, of course the day How went you get pa- the second hand mm. well that's why it says somehow in the right, report yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay time for fact number two and that is Andy so, my fact is that the explorer Sir Ranulph Fiennes, who is the oldest Briton ever to have climbed Mount Everest, used to get such bad vertigo that he would ask his wife to climb ladders to clear the gutters instead of him. Uh, that sounds like an excuse, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. <laughs> and we're talking about, is it acrophobia? He has a fear of heights. Fear of I don't yeah. think he has the yeah the medical vertigo, which is where you feel dizzy, no matter whether you're in a high place or not. So, yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Everest is one of the only mountains I've seen where any photo doesn't justify the largeness or the danger of it because it's such a wide mountain yeah, right. that you can't really get an understanding of how tall it is. That's true. Like The main peak of Everest is the highest peak in the world, of course, but the second highest peak is the second highest peak of Everest, which is taller than K2. Right. Oh. That's cheating. It is cheating. Yeah, it's riding on the back of someone else right until the very end. Yeah. <laughs> um, so basically this fact is pretty much just an excuse to talk about Sir Ranulph Fiennes, who's done a lot of absolutely amazing it stuff. great. He has gone up the Nile on a hovercraft. Yeah. Just the first time someone did that. His expedition, uh, the Transglobe expedition, went around the world, but not horizontally, uh, vertically, leaving from Greenwich, going through both poles, and then back to Greenwich. No one has done that before. No one's done it since then. 
which is amazing. And then he, after he had a heart attack and a double heart bypass operation, four months later, he did seven marathons in seven days uh, on seven continents. Such a show off. Yeah, yeah. He um just on the badass nature of Ranulph Fiennes, he once off an expedition got frostbite on his fingers and he got it so bad that he needed to have them amputated. But when he took his fingers and himself, they're still attached to a doctor. They said we need to wait for it a bit longer for it to deaden before we can amputate. And he lost his patience at home one day, so he went into his shed. He eventually took them off with a Black and Decker vice and a fret saw. But he tried a number of other devices beforehand, Indeed. different saws, and it just wasn't working. That's so, great product placement for the Black and Decker yeah. head saw. <laughs> yeah. So he's done. So he's quite fun anyway. He seems to be quite an entertaining chap. <laughs> so at one point when he was in the army, there was a ball, I think, and he persuaded some of his fellow military men to procure a lively squirming piglet, cover it in tank grease, and slip it into a crowded ballroom. Which is nice. quite fun. But another fun thing he did was he was wanted to get into the SAS. Do you know about this? No. So one of the tests to get into the SAS that he had to perform was to plan and try to execute a bank robbery. And so he was supposed to rob a branch of Barclays Bank. And he went and he asked for a tour around Barclays Bank. And based on that, he went to a cafe afterwards and made detailed plans of the bank. And that evening, the owner of that cafe called the police and said, a man who looks like he's pretending to be in the army has left here some very detailed plans of the local bank. Oh. Can you please get on this? It was in the headline of the Times the next day was, dodgy looking man leaves behind plans Amazing. of bank robbery. Although I don't think he was rejected from the S. Yes, for that. He also was almost James Bond, weirdly. Really? He auditioned for James Bond. Cubby Broccoli got him in, mm. and they auditioned 400 people, and he made it down to the last six. Oh, okay. Yeah, but then he got rejected immediately by Cubby Broccoli. <laughs> Cubby Broccoli said that he looked like a farmer whose hands are too big and clumsy. Well, his oh, hands well. aren't too big anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's in such bad taste. That is fine. <laughs> Lord Lucan, as well, was asked to audition for James oh, was Bond. He? Yeah, <laughs> Lord Lucan. Yeah. He, he, was, he didn't he go to it, but he was asked time, to. Wasn't he? He's did quite he not, famous. Did he not go to it on account of being <laughs> yeah. in Africa? <laughs> He's doing quite a job of going undercover. If this is part of his audition... Yeah. I would say he's done very well. Um, also, because that's the one that Roger Moore then became James Bond for. And I was reading in Craig Brown's book, One to One, that George Lazenby got the job of being James Bond by knowing that Cubby Broccoli was going for a haircut in a place and getting his haircut next to him and feigning ignorance about, oh, hi, how are you? So, yeah, uh, Martini. Play. Like, he was like, great. yeah, yeah. I have like, always wondered how the hell George Lazenby got the job. So when Ranulph Fiennes and Lord Lucan were going for it, they lost the job to George Lazenby. No, to Roger Moore. Oh, okay. Uh, yes. All right, that's yeah. fine. Why well, you think yeah. it's extraordinary that anyone could have lost yeah. George Lazenby? Yeah. <laughs> he's the oldest guy to have climbed Everest. Do you know how no. old? There've been older ones, haven't there? Mm. Yeah. So he's the oldest British guy. Oh, yeah. The oldest guy's Japanese. He was 80 Whoa, when he got Jesus. up there, and he spent half an hour up there, and he he broke his own record. He was the oldest oh, right, previous. Right. It was his third trip up there. He yeah. went up there when he was 70, and there was this big thing about two days behind him in terms of trekking was an 81 year old so he oh, was really? he was going to be able to hold the record for two days and then <laughs> this 81 year old was like on the way behind but he didn't make it didn't make it didn't oh, make wow. it he didn't die but he didn't make it I think yeah. there's two of them who keep beating each other's record aren't there yeah I think because the last time this guy the Japanese guy he's called Miura the last time he did it they asked him if the other guy beats you are you going to try and do it again and he said at this point I could not think of anything but rest Mm. It must be knackered. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's reverse psychology. Is it? Trying to convince the other. No, <laughs> yeah. well, no, not interested. Nope, <laughs> not for me. 
Okay, time to move on to our third fact, and that's Chazinski. Uh, my fact is that a Ryanair crew member recruited today could not possibly be the same height as a crew member from the first Ryanair cabin crew. Okay, what does that mean? That So they do have um, height restrictions, don't they? Yeah, they do. So if you're recruited today, you have to be at least five foot two to be in the crew now. In 1985, on the first Ryanair flight, uh, you had to be under five foot two to work on it. Under five foot two? Less than five foot two. Pretty sure. Seriously small. Because the planes were small. It was because it was a tiny cabin. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So they're just crew tiny people. Yeah. Yeah, but then the passengers the have passengers? to be yeah. there God knows, I guess they just have to crouch. Well, they're not. St- you're not standing throughout the whole flight. Oh, I don't know. I don't know about the first Ryanair flights. Maybe you were. Maybe. <laughs> no, that's future Ryanair <laughs> yeah. flights, I think. Um, that's very cool. But yes, I think it's quite weird that you need to be over a certain height now. I suppose you need to reach up. Some oh, of them say okay, you need knockers. to show that you have, have to have a certain reach. So you could be short so with you, very long arms. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Tickle. <laughs> I read that on EVA, which is an airline. Uh, their height, they do have a height restriction thing as well, but it's purely for aesthetic purposes. I wouldn't be surprised if they had that in the 70s, but these days it seems a little bit... Well, I found out about what the, it was like in the 70s. Okay, yeah. um, okay so this is during Pan Am's heyday. Uh, you have to be, as you say, Anna, at least five foot two. Uh, weigh no more than 130 pounds and retire by the age of 32. Jeez. And you weren't allowed to be married or have children. And so most women lasted about 18 months because... Because they change. always bloody go off and have kids, don't they, these women? <laughs> and that's why we can't be relied on to employ them. <laughs> well, the marriage restriction lasted until the 1980s, which is unbelievable. Wow. You know, the first uh, budget airline was in 1971 it was founded, which is a long time ago. But that one was outrageously sexist. The stewardesses had to have orange hot pants and white go-go boots. <laughs> right. What is a go-go boot? Um, before, before they were dressed as that, though, they used to dress as nurses. Um, and that's not some sort of weird sexual fetish. There were nurses, though, weren't there? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In fact, the first official flight attendant was a nurse and a pilot, and she only became a flight attendant because they didn't allow her to become a pilot. Gosh. Yeah, they're like, you can't that be a pilot. Was, that was Ellen Church, was Yeah, it? yeah. Yeah. Did you read this article in uh, Collectors Weekly? It's a really, really good website. Um, they have loads of great articles on there. And they did a thing about um, air hostess uh, uniforms, and they talked about Ellen Church, and she was a registered nurse. But the reason that they had registered nurses is because all the passengers were getting uh, nauseous and vomiting because of the DC-3 planes, these particular types of plane that were just all over the place. So everyone would be sick, and that's why they first brought in the female attendants, because they needed nurses. Wow. Wow. To hold out sick bags. Yeah. Apparently. All right. She, by the way, wasn't the first ever flight attendant. Oh, she wasn't? No, she wasn't, and it's such... First female one. She first female, but the first oh. ever proper flight attendant was a German guy called oh, yeah. Heinrich Kubis. And he was flying with the Red Baron, and would yes, just exactly. give him the tiny peanuts. <laughs> he was on. He was on. Uh, he was on all the um, all the zeppelins prior to planes. But oh, he was the okay. flight attendant, yeah. and and he very much cared about his job. To the extent that he would wear hot pants and go-go boots. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, but he also, so he was on. He was on a number of famous zeppelins. The most famous of all he was on was the Hindenburg, Hindenburg. and he was the one who Ooh. basically noticed that it was on fire and uh, helped all the passengers to get off it. And uh, he was a very, he was a very. Because actually, a lot of people survived the Hindenburg. A lot of people would think. Yeah, yeah. A lot of them jumped from about 15 feet in the air, and then oh, he was on the amazing. edge, and he went, "All right, everyone, go!" And so he gave the go-ahead. The Hindenburg was almost called the Hitler. It was originally going to be called the Hitler. Wow. Yeah. Um, I didn't 
know that that pole on the top of the Empire State Building was actually to dock Zeppelins. Yeah. It was a Zeppelin docker. Yeah, that's yeah. so cool. It's very exciting. Just to go back to Ellen Church for a second, the first yeah. uh, female stewardess. So um, they were called Sky Girls originally. The, the, the Sky Girls were expected to, I'm quoting here, haul luggage, screw down loose seats, help with fueling the plane, and finally, at day's end, help the pilots push the plane into the hangar. <laughs> <laughs> How good is that? Uh, the first passenger flight, it was one guy, and it was from St. Petersburg in Florida to Tampa, and it lasted 23 minutes, and the flight rarely exceeded five feet in altitude. That's, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant, isn't it? It's like, we are now cruising at five feet. <laughs> you look to the left, you'll see a man. Um, <laughs> Here's some chewing gum for you to chew so your ears don't pop. Ears? Crazy! <laughs> Wait, give us more details of this. This is amazing. Well, I know it was it was called a flying boat, I think, because that was the only terms in which they could just... No, because right. they had planes, but they called it a sky boat. Oh, um, wow. Well, it was the first guy paid $400, which was about uh, $9,000 today. But then the prices came right down after that. And basically it carried a, maybe 1,200 passengers over the next few months. And they paid a $5. $5. Each. First yeah. one was kind of a, uh, oh, right. you know, a special thing. It was the former mayor of the town who got to go on this yeah. journey. And weird that he had to pay more to be the one who's trying yeah, it out. Yeah, not really fair, no. <laughs> and also $400 down to five. That's quite... Yeah, he was kicking himself he a year later. <laughs> he was like, if only I'd booked it a week later. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's the thing with low-cost airlines. You've got to keep checking the prices. It just went on lastminute.com <laughs> straight away. Um, other things that have um, been taken on planes or attempted to take on planes. A two-month-old tiger cub was recently... A woman recently attempted to smuggle it by disguising it as a stuffed toy amongst other fake tiger cubs. Oh, that is clever. It that is clever. That's is what clever. E.T. does when he tries to hide among the other toys. He puts all... Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. Yeah. But he sticks his face out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas a more sensible alien would have just hidden behind the <laughs> yeah, toy. Exactly. <laughs> Why did he need to do that? Why did he... I was pushing Bit it. of a show-off. Bit yeah. of a show-off, yeah. E.T. And then the there edge. was the last one, which I did put on Twitter yesterday, which was Woody's toy gun was confiscated from him recently at Heathrow. Ah. And there's the guy who it was confiscated from took a picture, and the guy is literally removing this tiny toy you, gun uh, from Woody. Gun from Woody, as in a Woody, cow, okay, Woody, Woody the cowboy. Yeah, Woody the cowboy. What? And, yep. and it's, it wasn't like a... It's not like a, a, a gun... Life, a life-size. Yeah, it's... it's like a tiny yeah, little It pistol. was a tiny Woody and they just put an AK-47 in his hands <laughs> and said, what, it's a toy. Don't be ridiculous. Um, that's, there was a guy who was on ground staff. This guy said, here are some of the conversations I overheard. There was a lady who tried to bring her goldfish on board. And so she had it in a bag with water in it and they said well, okay what we've worked out is we can allow the goldfish to go on but we can't allow the water <laughs> yeah so they did allow the water the other one was they so had... the goldfish had to live in a little 25 milliliter <laughs> yeah exactly yeah but you can buy liquid once you've gone through security so could you hold it in your hand oh, run and buy a bottle run. of water yeah yeah, yeah. Like drop it in your evia um and the other one was they had an argument about what state mashed potato is so they couldn't decide if it was a liquid mils of, or a, yeah. yeah, they didn't know what it was. And so they eventually decided that it was a gel um, and that <laughs> you not couldn't gel. allow it. That's what that's what the ground staff uh, decided it is. Um, I've got two other things on height restriction. Uh, one is astronauts have height restrictions as well. But there was famously there was one astronaut who was a great astronaut called Scott Parazinski. He was not allowed to do a mission because of his height restriction. Interesting thing about him, though, just in relevance to this was podcast. Was he really tall or really small? He was really tall. Oh, okay. Um, he's the only astronaut ever to have gone into space and also to have reached the summit of Mount Everest. 
Oh, wow. Just as an interesting connection. Of... Did he land on the summit of Mount Everest when he got back? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that is cheating. Did he go up Everest and go, no, I want to go higher than this? Yeah, yeah. I'm almost there now. Yeah. <laughs> Might as well carry on. I've just read that uh, I'm on I'm on this astronaut, Scott uh, Parazinski's uh, Wikipedia page, and it's got a list of awards and honours, and he was the honorary captain for the US luge team for the 2010 Winter Olympics. What do you mean, honorary captain? I don't know. It's just they made him an honorary captain. I'd like captain. to be the honorary captain of a Olympic team. Yeah. I wonder if he got a medal if they won. Oh, yeah, he could say he well, won you get, a... you get an honorary medal. Yeah. Oh. You stand yeah. on an honorary podium, which is yeah. next to the main podium. Fortunately, you're so tall, it doesn't matter. That it's <laughs> 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 uh, it is more. weird that the word honorary just means not. Yeah. <laughs> in life, yeah. basically. <laughs> There's restrictions on heights of sandcastles on certain German beaches. Um, oh, they can't God. be above three metres in there's height. Some, uh, three metres? Yeah, which is huge. <laughs> yeah. I'm not surprised that you yeah. can't be above three metres. Yeah. Yeah. That's not building a sandcastle. That's, That's building... That's earthworks. Yeah. <laughs> there you need planning least, permission for that. There's at least one beach in Germany where um, they knock down the sandcastles at the end of every day so that people don't trip over them in the yeah. dark. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Seriously, three meters. I know. That's what are the crazy rules that the Germans have? They're not allowed to build a massive house on the beach. <laughs> not allowed to drive more than a thousand miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, time for a final fact, and that's my fact. This week, my fact is, uh, according to his website, Steven Seagal is the only private citizen to destroy a nuclear device. Oh. Steven Seagal, the uh, action hero. I, uh, I found I, this on his website. Okay, sorry. Steven Seagal has, Steven Seagal dismantled. has dismantled, according to his website. It's in his uh, philanthropy section of his website. <laughs> that is a, it's, a, it's a philanthropic act. Yep. It is. Definitely. Yeah. I don't, so, uh, looking into it, uh, he's tricked us a bit. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah. He didn't physically, with his hands, dismantle a oh, nuclear he used device. His mouth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He used his ponytail. <laughs> uh, he uh, he sponsored people to dismantle, so he he gave the money <laughs> to oh, be able okay. to do it. That's really funny. Will you, Steven Seagal, turning up at your door? Will you sponsor me to dismantle? <laughs> uh, if you give me fifty p per megaton. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, great. So he he paid for it to be decommissioned, basically. Yes. Yeah. Wow. He was one of the people. He's an interesting character. He does. He's a he's a bit of a lone wolf, old Seagal. Really? Yeah. Well, he you know what he's is just, a lone wolf. A lone wolf is someone who just says I'm not a part of any kind of like he doesn't do cinema really anymore. Does he not? He goes he's straight to DVDs. I don't think that's out of choice, is it? Uh, well, he's still <laughs> <laughs> on principle. I am a straight to video man. That's a good point. You... <laughs> Very good point. Uh, he might be in the new Expendables movie. Uh, so yeah. Oh right. I'm so he sacrificed wrong. his strong principles for that, did he? My favourite things about Seagal, I'll just give a quick breakdown. He's a musician as well. I found that out in the music section of his website. Uh, what does this his mean? Website. Did, he, did he want to pay someone to play a musical he's instrument? Got, he's, got, <laughs> <laughs> he's got two albums. One is called Mojo Priest and the other is called Songs from the Crystal Cave. Um, wow. Yeah, I think it's Mojo Priest that has 19 tracks on it because he, he's got a lot to give. And uh, one of the songs is called Talk to My Ass. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, cock puncher blues is another one. Is I, that cock as in cock fighting? I don't know. I he doesn't I, like cock, cock fighting. Because he's an animal rights activist, isn't he? Well, he no, he's a sheriff. He's a sheriff. We think we mentioned be before that he was. Yeah, you can. <laughs> I think we mentioned before that he was a sheriff, haven't we? Yes. Um, but one of the things that he did as a sheriff was break up a cock fighting ring in America. Wow. Uh, and he used a full SWAT team, a bomb detecting robot, and a bevy of armored vehicles. 
including a fully fledged tank. He was in the tank, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 115 birds were euthanized on the spot, and thousands of dollars of damage were done to this guy called Jesus Levera. Lots of damage done to his property, including damage caused by the tank knocking over his walls. Mm. That's a bit overkill, yeah, isn't it? You say that 115 birds were euthanized on the spot. Surely part of breaking up a cockfighting ring is to prevent cruelty to animals. Yeah. yeah. Just go in all guns blazing. Well, you've, you've yeah, missed you're the, not going to uh, fight anymore, are you? You've missed the best bit of the story. Go on. He got the wrong house. What? No. Yeah, it wasn't the right oh. house. Yeah, he, uh, it was, he slaughtered all these animals... Including, Wait, it was just another house with a hundred. Yeah, no, it was a guy. It was a guy who was who was just breeding them. And um, not only did the chickens, uh, the cockerels die, um, so did the owner's dog. And Steven Seagal had to write an apology letter to the kid because he killed his dog. Good. Yeah. Yeah. That's appropriate. But yeah, also, yeah. they needlessly disposed of a lot of bombs which the family just harmlessly had. <laughs> they were just breeding the bombs. Why would you they? take a bomb disposal robot to a cockfighting ring? Why would you? drive a tank through the house. <laughs> house. Steven Seagal, that's what he does. In 1940, they had new golf rules um, to do with the war in certain clubs in England. And one of them was, a player whose stroke is affected by the simultaneous explosion of a bomb may play another ball from the same place. Penalty, one stroke. <laughs> wow. I think, as a golfer, I think that's quite harsh. That's like, quite it's harsh. not your fault. Yeah. But you've got to be very focused, James, and I think it shows you're not taking it seriously enough if you're distracted by every bomb that goes off. Yeah, that's, that's a good well. point. Yeah. yeah, I do get distracted on the golf course. Um, you like conspiracy theories, Dan. I have one. Yeah. So, in the 1950s and 60s, there was some nuclear testing in space until that was banned by the UN, but in the UN document that forbade it, it said the reason we have to ban nuclear testing in space is because it could destroy exotic weapons and other military satellites. So oh. I want to know what exotic weapons are hovering around our world right now. What does that mean, exotic weapons? Pineapple flavor. Pineapple bombs. <laughs> <laughs> Just to clarify for our listeners, I like conspiracy theories. I don't believe in them. <laughs> Just to clarify. Dan, you say that every week, and every I week have we to cut it out. It. I know. <laughs> Outrageous. Um, when on construction sites in Germany, they still often call bomb disposal units um, before they do much construction because there are pl mm. plenty of unexploded mm. bombs. So in Germany, I think someone was killed earlier on this year. A man was killed yeah. when a bomb uh, from World War II exploded. There were more than a billion shells in Northern Europe um, that were given back. Yeah, that were sent over there by the Allies, and 30% of them failed to explode. And the main Belgian group that get rid of it are called Dovo, and they recover between 150 and 200 tons of um, stuff every year. Gosh. Wow. Um, well, good note to anyone. Anyone want to talk about Bruce Willis? That's yeah. who I researched because I didn't know who Steven Seagal is. Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know he was on Friends? Bruce Willis. Yeah, no, I didn't know that. No. I oh God, yeah, he guys. Played, he played Gunter. Oh God, guys. <laughs> he Gunter. Ten very successful yeah. seasons. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. Who, who was yeah, he everyone listening is going to know this. So he played Rachel's boyfriend and the dad of Ross's girlfriend. Anyway, he did it for no fee. He was in about three episodes, I think, oh. and he lost a bet to Matthew Perry, and so he didn't get paid for it because he oh, lost a bet. Whole nine yards. When they were in the whole nine yards, right. where yeah, Matthew Perry was like, "This film is going to be good. I swear it's going to go to the top of the film charts," and uh, it did go to the top of the movie charts when it opened. Oh, is that how Friends works, basically? They got people in and then did wages with them. For the first four seasons, Phoebe was paid in pineapples. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> it really showed in her acting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, nothing of Bruce Willis. He owns, uh, he says the most expensive thing he's ever bought is a ski mountain in Idaho. That's the kind of thing you say to someone after you've just bought something really expensive and you want to show off. You say, oh, what's the most expensive thing you own? And then you hope they ask you back. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he probably goes around to parties all the time saying that. So what's the most expensive thing? Yeah. Oh, oh, that sofa looks expensive. Is it the most expensive thing that you own? <laughs> he actually, this makes him even even more vomit-inducing. He said to the Guardian journalist who asked him, I don't tell many people this, but it's a mountain in Idaho. Obviously saying it to a Guardian journalist who's well, printing it. actually, given the circulation of the Guardian. <laughs> Keep this under your hat. Only publish it in your newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce Willis as well. Um, I seem to remember that he, when they were looking for Osama bin Laden, said, I will give a million dollars if you find... He put a bounty on his head, basically. Yeah, and that's what we all know. So that when he goes to parties, he could say, what's the most expensive thing you've bought? Oh, I bought yeah. Osama bin Laden. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who's the biggest terrorist you've personally had killed? <laughs> yeah. Um, um, another thing about Bruce Willis is that he lost two-thirds of the hearing in his left ear when on Die Hard because the director said that they had to use extra loud blanks. And now, apparently, his daughter claims this is why he gets accused of being rude in interviews is because his hearing isn't very good, so he ignores people a lot. Ah. What's the justification for him telling people he's bought a mountain? <laughs> <laughs> what was that you said? What's the most expensive thing I've ever... <laughs> no, Bruce, we just asked what your favourite animal was. <laughs> Okay, that's it. That's all of our facts. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, if you want to get in contact with any of us about the things we've said over the course of this podcast, you can get us all on Twitter, either on at QI Podcast, which is our general group Twitter page, or individually, I'm on at Schreiberland, Andy. At Andrew Hunter M. James. At Eggshaped. And uh, You can email podcast at QI.com. Yeah, and you can also go to nosuchthingasafish.com, where we've got all of our previous episodes, so check them out. And we're going to be back again next week with another episode. Goodbye. Show me.